0: For the last few months, we've been going through the Gospel of John, a series we call Abide and Go, based on a picture that John gives in the 15th chapter, this picture of a grapevine, and the need to be attached to that vine. And when we stay attached to Jesus, we bear fruit. And one of those bearing fruits, one of the things we do as we bear fruit is to go, to go into the world, to share his good news. And so one way we talked about it was this idea of participation in the mission of God. That God sent his son, this best known verse from, the chat, uh, from John, John three sixteen. for God so what? Love the world that he sent his son. And so this picture of God sending his son, and so we participate in that. So we heard from John chapter 17 there. And this was Jesus near the end of his life. He's praying for his followers and he's saying, just as I was sent, so I'm sending you. And then he does that again later in, after his resurrection, he comes to his disciples. He says, just as I was sent, so I send you. And so it's this picture of Jesus was sent, why? Because God loved the world. And what was Jesus sent to do? To share that love with others, to invite others into that love. And so then Jesus says to his followers, just as I was sent, so I'm sending you. So we're sent out of Jesus' love for the world, and we're sent to do what? To share that love with the world around us. And so for the next couple weeks, we're going to be thinking about how practically we can do that. So this is going to be a little bit different than some of my other messages. We're not going to be spend quite as much time going through every verse, but we're going to focus a little more on kind of day to day activities, practical things we can do as we think about sharing the love of God with other people. How can we share that love? And so the word we often use is evangelism for that, and that's one of those words that we just kind of get afraid, we worry about, we feel guilty. But I want to say fear is normal. It's a part of it. Because if we think about it, when do you get afraid? You get afraid when you're doing something that's important. Something that you are worried about. And this is one of the most important things we can do. Is to share the good news of Jesus with somebody. To tell them about how much God loves them and invite them into a life with Jesus. And it can be scary because sometimes people don't say Yes. Sometimes they don't say no. And so we're going to be looking at a picture of maybe a way we can do this. We've used other patterns before, but what I want to do over the next couple of weeks, this week and next week, is use some material from a book by uh, Don Everett and Doug Shelp. Uh, they both work at InterVarsity. InterVarsity is a parachurch organization that works on college campuses. I got the chance to hear Doug at the Midwinter, our pastor's conference, back in, Feb- in the end of January, beginning of February, to hear this and what they did was they examined over their years of working with college students kind of the path to faith that they saw many people in our modern age or our postmodern age as some would call it this path to faith that people took this path to faith that people journeyed on and what that looked like and after they observed this they kind of broke it down into some ideas and thoughts and then they talked with dozens of others they invited them all in and said let's let's pick this apart does this make sense and working with all these other campus ministers and youth pastors, they said, yes, this is kind of how we see people on their journey to faith. And so they developed this idea of five thresholds of faith, that there are these kind of five significant steps. So if we think of a threshold, something that people cross over to enter into a commitment to Jesus. And so briefly, these five thresholds are from distrust to trust, from indifferent to curious, from closed to open, from wandering to seeking, from ambivalent to following. So we're just going to focus on the first two this week. Hopefully I'll be able to get through all three, the other three next week. We'll see. And next week I'll have some handouts for you, but I don't want you peeking ahead too much. I need you to follow along because if you give a handout with somebody, you got all five steps on it. People like they read through the first five and then they shut down after you're like, okay, I already know what he's going to say. So I'm holding back on those. So we're talking about these steps. And this passage from Mark that was read just a little bit ago serves as kind of a helpful picture of these passages. And so Jesus was telling this parable. And he tells a parable about the kingdom of God. And he said, it's like a man who scatters seed. And night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And then it produces grain, the stalk, the head, the full corn kernel. And then the grain is ripe, and he he harvests it. And as Jesus is describing this, notice a couple things that happens as he describes this process. Because he's not talking about seeds. I mean, he's talking about seeds, but what's he's talking about? The kingdom of God. He's talking about people's faith, and a couple things that happen in it. One is, it's mysterious. So he says, This is what the case. man scatters seed night and day, whether he sleeps or not, seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. So there's something mysterious going on in this process, in the same way that people's path to faith is mysterious. It doesn't always make sense. We can't necessarily nail it down and say, This is exactly what's happening. There's something mysterious going on. And part of that is because what's at work is God's Holy Spirit inside of people, it's not a formula. We like formulas in church. When Christian bookstores used to exist, I would go to them and I would see and there'd be this big, long category of books and you'd see them in all the different sections. There'd be a section on evangelism, a section on prayer. And many of them had things like the five steps to, the seven ways, the six. And the implication sometimes is, here's these five things you do and then if you do those, this will happen. And sometimes we think of the path to faith this way, that it's this formula. And what Jesus is saying here in this picture is, this path to faith is mysterious. that We kind of have a picture of it, but we're not really sure how. And many of you had that same in your journey to faith. You're like, well, I I was there, and then I was here. And you're maybe not even sure how you got from one phase to the next phase, one step to the next step, one threshold to the next. But Jesus also says it's not only mysterious, it's organic. In other words, there are similar seasons. There's the seed, there's the head, there's this pathway. And so just the same way Everett and Schelp saw these distinct patterns of ways, and there's this season of growth, there's characteristics. And so as we think about those, what, it, what might we learn from that? First thing we might learn is that the, that the fact that people go through these different stages and different thresholds means that evangelism can't be just a one-trick thing. Sometimes we think of evangelism. Here's what I do to get somebody to follow Jesus. Well, just as a farmer, when you have a seed in the ground, you do different things when it's a seed in the ground to when it's a sprout to when it's getting higher. There are different ways you take care of it, different ways you nurture it to move it to the next stage. And so in the same way, if you meet someone who doesn't know anything about the Bible, who's never heard anything about Jesus, you might approach that differently than maybe somebody who grew up in church and now has kind of wandered away, or maybe somebody who's familiar with it. So each one of those different places is a different way. And it also helps us to think about sharing our faith as not simply an on-off. Sometimes we think like, okay, people are unsaved, they're saved, and we just kind of flip the switch, boop, you know, move from here to here. But in reality, it's more of a a journey. It's this progress. And so, like the farmer, we recognize we start where people are, we read what they need, and then we know where to take them. All right, so first threshold was from distrust to trust. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but not everyone trusts Christians. People don't believe us sometimes. They don't have a very good opinion of us sometimes. I don't know why. But they don't think very highly of us. So sometimes where we're starting with people is we just need to get them to trust us. In other words, to respect where we are. And one of the key things we need to do is we recognize when people don't trust us, we don't need to be offended by that. Jesus came, and he wasn't offended when people didn't trust him. Paul, the apostle, the one who shared the good news of Jesus, oftentimes people mocked him. and said, He said, yeah, that's, you know, he didn't worry about those things. He didn't worry about what he was like. But instead, we can follow the example of Jesus. And going back to our picture from the Gospel of John, in the beginning chapter of John, it says that, the word became flesh, so Jesus took on flesh and he pitched his tent, he tabernacled them on it. And so one of the things we can do is when people don't trust us, we settle down in the neighborhood. We come alongside them, we begin and we start right there. And so I want us to think about some of the reactions that sometimes we have to distrust. Have any of you ever encountered someone, if you are a follower of Jesus, have you ever encountered someone that maybe responded negatively to you the time, the moment you told them you were a Christian. In other words, they were displaying some distrust because maybe they had been hurt by Christians. Maybe they had a different idea of what Christians were like. Maybe they believe that all Christians fit into a particular category, maybe a particular political bent, maybe a particular view of science, maybe some other thing. They've experienced something in their life, so they put all Christians into a category, just like we often this isn't unique to non Christians, is it? We do all this, we tend to lump people into categories. And when someone responds negatively to us, when someone says, Oh, you're one of those. Oh, you're a Christian, you must not believe in science. Oh, you're a Christian, you must be a Republican. Oh, you're a Christian, you must be. Most of us respond really positively to those things, don't we? We just say, Oh, you're absolutely right. Thank you for pointing that out. No, what can we have negative responses to? Them. One of them is we defend. Well, I'm not one of those. No, not me. But if you really understood things, you know, oh, you're a Christian. Did you know about the Crusades? Well, you know, the Crusades. Let me explain a little more to you. We defend. That's one of our first responses, often. And what I would suggest is we need to move to a different posture, a different way of responding instead of defending. When we feel tempted to defend, it's time to pray instead, to pray for ourselves, that we don't respond negatively, and also to pray for them, just to begin to pray for them. Because there's something amazing that happens. When we begin praying for it's hard to not like somebody when you start praying for them, when you really start praying for them. I mean, sometimes our praise, prayers might start off a little bit, God, you just really need to do that. But after a while, we begin to pray, and we begin to get in the heart of God, and we begin to do that. So rather than defend, we pray. Second thing is, we sometimes get bruised. We get a little hurt when somebody distrusts us. Why, why would you not believe me? I can't believe I'm being treated this way. We get offended. And so what we can do instead is we can begin to learn. When we're tempted to feel bruised and offended, you know, maybe try and figure out where's that coming from? Why, why do they have that perspective? Ask good questions. We're going to come back to that because one of the keys along these in these first two phases is asking good questions, and this is where we often think of sharing our faith as mainly us talking. And so we come up, we we have our little, we have our plan, and we have our little our track. We have our our diagram. We have our proposal we're going to go through and somebody starts talking about jesus like wait a minute wait a minute here it goes i've got my presentation for you and you pull out your slideshow and you start walking them through the much better sometimes is to begin asking questions in the same way when we get bruised when we get offended to ask questions to learn other thing and this one probably fits me best is when i think somebody doesn't like me or they're bothered by me i just avoid them i mean that's the easy way it's like okay you know what they don't like me why bother Hey, if you're going to talk to me that way, I got plenty of other people out there. There are 7 billion other people in the world I can be around right now. The kingdom posture, the Jesus posture is instead to begin to bond. Remember that picture of Jesus? What did Jesus do? He pitched his tent in the neighborhood. Jesus was often around people that didn't like him. And he didn't just move away. He moved in and he stayed around with them. Fourth thing, fourth response we often have is we judge people. Sometimes, right? We kind of point the finger back. You know, they say, oh, well, you know, you Christians are like this. They're like, oh, really, us? What about you atheists? You godless people? Don't you know that? And so we flip it around and we start judging. And if you're listening to this, you're thinking, those probably don't go over real well, do they? You defend, you bruise, you avoid, you judge. Well, maybe what we do is we affirm them. You think, wait a minute, they're they're offended me, but I'm going to affirm them. You don't affirm everything they say, but find something good in what they say. Paul in the 17th chapter of Acts, there's this time where he's with these people, and he says, hey, he says, hey, you recognize certain things. You recognize this unknown God, and so you find something in them to affirm, and you point to that. It doesn't mean you affirm everything about what a person does or a person believes or says, but you find something to affirm. Last one is very similar. We just argue. We just rev it up. We're like, oh. Oh, yeah? Well, here's my argument. I've I've been studying, and so you think that about God? Here's my 15 reasons why you're wrong. Here's my 37 defenses of the faith. We're going to back with the cosmological argument first. But instead... Maybe what we do is we welcome them. Jesus often uses, he says, come and see. We invite them into our lives. And so what I want us to think think about, so the five reactions often to distrust are, we defend, we bruise, we avoid, we judge, we argue. And so one thing you might do is just spend some time thinking about, which one is my common response? I already told you mine is like, I just avoid, that's me. But maybe you have a different response. Maybe you have a different response when someone's offended by you, when someone displays their distrust, when someone says something negative to you. What's your common response? And then use that as a way to pray. Remember again, God is involved in this whole process. We can begin to pray for help because God wants us to be able to do this. God desires to help us. And so pray for help. Say, God, I just avoid people when I'm bothered by it. Can you help me to be like Jesus and move in the neighborhood? Can you help me not to avoid them, but to find ways to be around them? Or God, instead of just defending myself, God, help me to stop and pray. God, instead of arguing, help me to welcome them and see these things. So that's the first threshold. And so the idea is we're helping people. And as we begin to do these things, as we ask these good questions, and as we don't push people away, what they begin to trust? And they move from that stage of distrust to trust. They move from that stage where they don't trust any Christians to begin, like, they may not trust a lot of other Christians, but they begin to trust you. They begin to understand. Now, key thing here trusting you doesn't mean they're ready to follow Jesus. Trusting you may not even mean they like you. Trusting you may not mean a whole lot of things. They maybe just tolerate you, but They're curious now. And so this next stage is indifferent to curious. Now, curious doesn't mean that they're open to change. They're just investigating. So let's not confuse curiosity with things. So we have this myth sometimes in Christian circles that if we're just a nice Christian, people will ask us questions about our faith or spiritual topics. We just think, oh, like, if I'm nice, if I live out my good life, people are just going to stop and ask me, hey, can you tell me all about Jesus? Not usually. Sometimes, maybe, but not often the case. So, what we need to do to move people from indifferent to curious is we have to provoke curiosity. I would invite you sometimes to read through the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these stories of Jesus, and notice how many times he answered questions. I think like three. He was asked like over a hundred questions. He answered three of them, and he asked a couple hundred questions because questions what invite curiosity. They invite us to start to wonder. Steve Berger, who works at the uh, for the Covenant and works with children and family ministries, he often uh, uses thing. He says this idea of I wonder, you know, with with kids and stuff. You're like, well, I wonder. What, I wonder about that. I wonder why. I wonder. And so we could ask, but it, because why? Because kids are incredibly curious, and what we want to do is continue to encourage and foster that curiosity. So as we see a friend of ours, a family member, someone move from distrust to trust, and now we're looking at that point where they're moving from indifferent to curious, one of the ways we can foster curiosity is just to begin to ask questions. We begin to ask questions of them, now questions can be dangerous, because one of the things is when we're provoking curiosity is sometimes we want to pour a pitcher into a Dixie cup. I remember I was like that with a friend of mine once. He asked me about Jesus, and I started talking for about two hours, gave him like the entire story. And it was like, I don't think he was looking for that. He had one question. And so sometimes that's where we need to be. We need to say, I need to recognize where they're curious. And so um, Doug Shop talks about the difference between brave questions and safe questions. You know, brave questions create the opportunity for the conversation to go deeper. You know, this is something that begins to break the ice and transform a spiritual topic. Safe questions allow a person to share their story as feel comfortable. So there's a safe question you ask, and you ask a question, and you're not pushing too far, but you're just kind of saying, I care about you, and I want you to tell me more about yourself. You know, they follow the momentum of the conversation. So they might be like, I, I can relate. Do you want to tell me more? Or something like, that sounds painful, I'm sorry. What happened next? Those are safe questions. You're not pushing too much, you're just kind of inviting and encouraging people to begin to tell their stories. And then there are brave questions. And so, kind of like a car driving or riding a bike up a hill, you, sometimes you have to change gears, right? And so changing gears sometimes from safe to brave questions. Brave questions are those times when you pivot the conversation when you direct the person towards Jesus, they move from that more, super, more just knowing the person into inviting it to Jesus. And so maybe it's the question like, well, what's your impression of Jesus? Or I like this one. I'd love to tell you one of my favorite stories about Jesus. Would that be okay? Or a question like, have you ever had a spiritual experience? Would you like to have one? Have you ever felt like you received a sign from God? What's your take on the whole God question? What do you think God is like? Why do you think so many people hide from religion? What do you think is wrong with Christians today? What do you think life is about? Do you think you have a destiny? So oftentimes what we find is there's a moment in a conversation where there's a fork in the road. And this isn't something you can teach. Or you can learn and just like, oh, okay, I've got the technique. I know when to ask the brave question, when to ask the safe question. It comes with experience. It comes with knowing like, okay, am I ready? And it's, it's a matter of listening to the person. And it's a matter of like, sometimes you get the question wrong. Sometimes you, you choose wrong, but it's beginning to pay attention. And as we do this more and more, we learn and we begin to know people. We say, okay, here's the moment to go a little bit deeper. Here's the moment where we're just going to work on knowing a little bit. Because questions... And again, asking questions, I read off some questions there. If you ask a question, ask a question. Don't come and say, oh, wait a minute. I think this is the fourth about I'm going to start with some brave questions. Okay, why do so many people hide religious? What do you think life is about? Do you think people are spiritually interested in they they were five years ago? What's the most significant thing that's happened in your life in the last five years, huh? Tell me. No, the battery of questions, the barrage of questions, isn't the way. You you ask a question, and then here's the secret. After you've asked the question, exactly, be quiet. You know, you ask a question, and then, those of you who've been around Fruitland, when they begin telling you the story, you use your three magic words of, tell me more. So somebody, you ask a question, they begin talking, they're like, oh, you know, they start with their was like, oh, tell me more about that. And just allow them to do it. Now, as we're thinking through questions, there are definitely, they like said, this is an art, not a science. There are what we call, there's the awkward questions, right? The questions that just kind of seem like, ah, that's not the right time. And so part of it is also learning, like, not just jumping from here and saying, okay, pastor said one of the keys is asking questions. So what I'm going to do is just go ask people questions. Because there are the moments when the questions are just awkward. So when our tw- when on and Axel were babies when they were twins, we'd often go, Christine and I would take them out. We'd go shopping. We'd go to the Walmart, which was the closest store to us. And we'd be walking through. And pushing around twins in a stroller gets lots of questions from people. Some of them awkward. And these are the kind of examples. So you get the question like, oh, twins, huh? Yeah. Boys or girls? Oh, one of each. Oh, are they identical? <laughs> that was a little bit awkward. Not so awkward as the time I was standing in line and had the twins there. And woman in front of me turned she says, Oh, twins. Were they conceived naturally or did you use fertilization? <laughs> wow, look at that magazine there, huh? Those are awkward questions, and in the same way, we can be awkward with these questions. They may be a good question, but there are moments to ask those questions and moments not to ask those questions, and then there are questions you just do not ask. And it's the same way with these spiritual questions. Just because you realize one of the techniques, one of the things to help people move along in their faith is to ask questions, doesn't mean that every question is okay or that every question is the right question at the right moment. It's learning what are the right questions. And you have to make that call. But as you do it, the goal at this stage is to help people move and get focused on Jesus and his kingdom. As they're moved from indifferent to curious, you're not trying to give them a... You're not wanting them to know a systematic theology and to explain all the intricacies of... You're wanting them to be curious about Jesus... Who Jesus is in this kingdom that he's been called to introduce. Because that's what we're wanting people to follow. We're not wanting them necessarily to get to church. We're not wanting them to know all the facts about the Bible. We're wanting, eventually all of those things come. But it all begins with someone becoming curious about Jesus. And the thing is, when people start to learn more and more about Jesus, Jesus is fascinating. Jesus is incredibly fascinating. And that's why, earlier on, I said one of the great questions is to say, I'd love to tell you my favorite story about Jesus. Would you like to hear it? And so one thing, other thing you might do this week is think, what's your favorite Jesus story? What's your favorite story of Jesus from the Bible? Is it a parable that he told? Maybe of the Good Samaritan. Maybe it's the story of the lost son, or the lost sons, really. Maybe it's the time when he stops in a crowd and heals a woman. Maybe it's the time when he raises a widow's daughter. Maybe it's the time when he is with Mary and Martha. Maybe it's the time when he looks down from the cross and says, this is your mother, this is your son. Maybe it's the time when he looks at Peter and says, you know, do you love me, Peter? Whatever those stories are, what's your favorite Jesus story? Because there is something in that story that attracts you about to Jesus. There's something in that story that says, wow, Jesus is incredible. Jesus is so loving. Jesus is so smart. Jesus is just so amazing, and I want to know him more. There's something about that story that affects me, and if it affects me, it might affect someone else. So you might say, hey, in the midst of a conversation and someone's talking about it, and they're, they're kind of talking bad about Christians, and so says, well, you know... Would you mind if I told you a Jesus story, my favorite Jesus story? And if they say yeah, I say hey. So the Bible, and then you might say, why? Well, there was this time where Jesus was walking through a crowd, and somebody reached out and touched him, and he stopped. And that story just touches me because it didn't matter all these other things. Jesus wasn't pressed by all the things of the world. What mattered to him was that moment, and in that moment, there was somebody who needed him. And in that moment, Jesus stopped and he turned and he, he saw this woman, this woman who had been cast out by society, this woman who nobody else paid attention to, this woman that people were paid away. And he stopped everything else. He wasn't worried about what the crowds thought. He wasn't worried about this other person who needed him right now and right then, this important person named Jairus who had lots of money and had a daughter who was desperately sick. He wasn't worried about that. What he was worried about was this woman right there who needed him. And it's my favorite Jesus story Because it tells me that Jesus is the one who will stop and all the other things don't matter. And in that moment, what matters is the one person. What matters is the one person, and that's me. And that's one of my favorite Jesus stories. And see, so what you've started to do is invite that person to move from indifferent to curious because all of a sudden they're like, wow, that's what Jesus is like? Now, they're not necessarily ready to jump on the Jesus bandwagon, but they're moving to that point. They're like, oh, now I'm curious. I want to know more. I want to know more about this Jesus. And maybe they say, well, how do I learn more about this Jesus? And you say, well, you know, we could read the Bible together or I could give you a Bible and you could start reading and, you know, start reading some of these stories. You know, read the gospel of Luke, you know, read the story of Jesus, read the gospel of Mark or the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of Jesus. Read the story of Jesus and and then come back to me with your questions because that's part of it too is letting them ask their questions. So we move from these two thresholds that we're going to finish with for today from distrust to trust and from indifferent to curious. So what I would invite you to do this week I and mean, I've given you a couple possible things you might be doing is just start to think about the people in your life people that you want to see know Jesus? And I know I haven't introduced you to the other three thresholds. We'd mention them real quickly. But are there people in your life who are maybe one of those two? And how are the ways that you can do that to begin to help them move, just to break down the distrust that people have of Christians? And one of the best ways is just be like Jesus. Show love to them. Love them. Pitch your tent, move in the neighborhood just like Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's the same way, we spend time with people. And then we move and we begin to provoke curiosity because we want people to move to that stage of saying, I wanna know more about Jesus, tell me more. We want them being the ones saying, tell me more, and we can do that one of the best ways is by asking questions and allowing questions. So think about what's a question you can ask or maybe that one thing of just like, think about what's your favorite Jesus story? And then practice telling it. Get it down so you can, in two or three minutes, you don't need the 30 minute retelling of the story. The two or three minute version is great, maybe four or five minutes at the most, but the short version of the story and think, this is my favorite Jesus story. Like I gave the example there that was just a couple minutes long. the story of Jesus and why it matters to you and say, And so maybe in a conversation with somebody, when you feel that moment, when you're feeling a little bit brave and you feel like there's an opening and say, hey, would you mind if I told you my favorite Jesus story? And if they say yes, then you tell them. And if they say no, don't tell them, okay? You just say, okay. You know, you recognize like this wasn't the moment, but you've also opened up an opportunity for a point in the future. So, as I close, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you invited us into this incredible mission that you have, this calling that you have to share the love of Jesus with the world around us. God, it's a challenge, it's a hard calling, it can be difficult at times. But we pray that as we go through our week, as we encounter people wherever they may be, whatever stage, whatever threshold they may be at. But God, you would give us wisdom. And most of all, you would give us love. The same love that Jesus showed for the people around him, you would help us to show to those around us. Help us to be agents of your love in this world. Help us to be people who live like Jesus and invite others to follow him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.